Wildcast is live on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Uh, excited to be here today. We are live in, at Teleco Hatchery in uh, Teleco, and uh, it's a cold morning. But we're uh, glad to be here. Miss Mimi Barnes is my co-host. She's the Region 3 Information Coordinator. And we've got Mr. John Ellis and Travis Scott. John is our uh, Teleco Hatchery Manager. And uh, Travis is our Regional Rivers and Streams uh, Coordinator. So uh, glad to have both of them with us today. And, uh, and Mimi is my co-host. and Excited about what's behind me. This is a, a great location. And uh, excited to talk about the, uh, the hatchery itself and, and what all goes on here. And and uh, get more information from these guys. It is a, it's a beautiful location. I said, this might be one of my favorite places yet. I'm a little jaded towards Region 3, you know? I mean, it's your home. It's my home, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is a gorgeous location yeah. and you get to see it every day. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's truly beautiful up here. It's a, it's a cold morning. I'll say this is one of our coldest shows. <laughs> so far. So far. <laughs> Maybe the, the one here in a few weeks might be colder, but anyway. Um, uh, we're going to get started just right off the bat. First, I want to I want to meet John and meet Travis. John, tell us about yourself a little bit. What did how'd you get into the outdoors? How'd you get started with the agency? What brought you brought you to Teleco? I've been involved with outdoors my entire life. You know, since I was a child, um, in different aspects, uh, whether it be hunting, fishing, um, kayaking, you name it. Uh, my wife and I lived in various parts of the country. Uh, we lived in Montana for a while, Colorado for a while. We actually met on a river, and then uh, just. This is actually the third time we've lived in the National Forest, so wow. it's good to be back. It's just kind of, I don't really have any rhyme or reason for it. It's just how it worked out. <laughs> That's cool. And, and we were talking before the show, you you uh, got into the hobby of flying. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, lately. That's kind of been my major interest, something I'm really in love with. Cool. Just one of the many things, because he's also a whitewater kayaker. Yes. So <laughs> varied skill sets that yeah. are, are, are good to have along this river. A jack of all trades. Uh, Travis, I know you have a really interesting background, too. Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, I started out similar to John. Uh, my dad would take me hunting and fishing, and I still have memories of looking at giant trout in the stream, hoping to catch them one day. <laughs> and I uh, still haven't caught the big one, but I'm, I'm getting closer. Um, but yeah, uh, grew up hunting and fishing, uh, went to school, got a degree in biology, and my uh, first job I went to Alaska to work at a salmon hatchery, worked up there for a couple of years and oh. got some experience. Uh, worked my way back to Tennessee, did some contract work with TVA, surveying streams in the southeast, and then I got hired about 20 years ago with TWRA on a streams crew and worked at various capacities uh, over the years. I've been a hatchery manager at two different facilities, including this one and um, been on uh, rivers and streams crews for most of my career. I did a short stint in Memphis as a wildlife officer. Mm -hmm. And then um, now I'm uh, over all the rivers and streams here in Region 3. I know you are in, uh, influ influential in helping make some positive changes here at the hatchery, which continue, uh, of course, um, in, in the management and how you ra you're raising fish. And, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't know you worked in Alaska. That's awesome. I know. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then <laughs> Montana, we got some diverse <laughs> folks. I mean, they've been all over the world. Well, you know that I always think it's amazing to hear people's background because that knowledge they bring to the agency is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's get started. Uh, I guess about the hatchery. And whoever wants to take the, the questions can and answer them. But uh, how long has the hatchery been here? Give us a little background on the on the hatchery itself. 
Teleco here? Well, the hatchery itself has been here since the late 30s, um, and it's been producing trout in some way, shape, or form, you know, since then. Um, initially, it was with ponds, some of which we're using now for our trophy programs, and as of now, with the, the raceway system that you see behind you that we're using. Okay, so and that was going to be one of my questions. You know, this, we see raceways behind us, but uh, fish are also raised in ponds. Trout are mainly done in raceways, I guess. That they're mainly done in raceways here, and as far as I know, predominantly they're done in raceways most everywhere. There are some circular pool type things, and you, they can be raised successfully in ponds, but raceways seems to be the most accepted method. And uh, you're actually using water from the Teleco River. Yeah, the water that we're using is coming from the Teleco River, um, Sycamore Creek, and from Pheasant Branch. So we have three um, intakes. All right. All right. And so trout, tell us what kind of trout. Uh, here we'll have brown trout, we'll have rainbow trout. We've also got albino rainbow trout that we were able to get from uh, Ennis, Montana. Wow. And we will propagate brook trout coming up this fall. Wow, wow. And brook trout? Southern Appalachian brook trout. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's, our, that's our only native trout, correct. Tennessee, correct? Correct. Uh, a beautiful fish. Probably, uh, probably my favorite fish now. Yeah. The, Thanks to these guys. The program, uh, tell us a little bit about the brook trout program, Travis. The, We've got another building here behind us where that uh, project's happening, and there's improvements coming along on that on that area. Yeah, um, uh, we the Brook Trout building was originally constructed in the early '90s over one of the uh, existing round pools from the uh, late '30s, um, and we uh, put it back in operation in 2011. And we started working. We partnered with Trout Unlimited on some of the work there. They they paid for a lot of the. Uh, repairs to the facility and some improvements we made but uh, in 2011 we began work on Sycamore Creek collecting wild brood fish from upper Sycamore Creek the southern Appalachian brook trout and at that time the upper reaches of Sycamore Creek were 100% brook trout the lower reaches were 100% rainbow trout and our goal was to try to um, push Sycamore Creek throughout its entire length to mostly brook trout uh, and we were doing some efforts to remove rainbow trout and go back in and stock with some fingerling brook trout that we had raised in our facility into that stream. Um, we had a setback in 2016. It was a historic drought. It was mm. uh, the lowest water levels ever recorded on the Teleco River. Um, and uh, so we, we had to drop back and make some adjustments, but we were fortunate this year we got a grant from TVA to purchase a chiller unit and uh, some pumps and equipment to uh, have a partial recirculating system. So we'll have, if we run into another issue with low flows and warm water temperatures, we'll have the ability to adjust those flows and water temperatures so they'll be favorable for the trout. And that was one of the questions that we had for you is uh, to talk, uh, we wanted to hear a little bit about those improvements, knowing that we're in a time with higher water temperatures uh, and that we might have some drought conditions, what improvements have been made uh, and, and how do they help the trout survive? Oh yeah, uh, we've started uh, and John's really taking it to the next level here uh, with some uh, low-head oxygenators, they're LHOs, and they uh, actually inject oxygen into the water. That's one of the issues you run into with warmer water. It doesn't hold as much oxygen as cold water. Mm -hmm. And so as that water warms up, you have less oxygen. And, of course, if you're feeding fish, they're consuming a lot of oxygen to process that feed and to grow. So uh, you want to keep those oxygen levels high and those LHOs help to do that. And that increases, I assume it increases or helps it maintain productivity of fish that come out of this. 
How far reaching is the stocking efforts um, with the fish that are raised at this hatchery? Well, we uh, typically, you know, during our stocking season, we'll hit Sitico Creek, Teleco River, and um, Green Cove Pond. But we've also expanded into, what, eight streams into Polk County? That'd be correct, wouldn't it? Seven, seven, seven streams, streams into there. Polk County. Wow. And then as Travis and I work together, we've been able to develop some ideas on being able to introduce some of the bigger quality fish from Teleco into streams elsewhere in the region Known as... Sometimes Teleco trophies. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They really are trophy fish. Talk about they their are. size um, compared to the other fish. Well, we're just, it, it's all kind of the culmination of all these different concepts that we put together here. A lot of it being improving the water quality with the LHOs, getting rid of the nitrogen, having higher dissolved oxygen levels, you know, just overall better quality fish. But we're able to get also, you know, retired brood fish from federal hatcheries. And that's kind of how the program started and just put size on them, keep them in ponds, keep them longer. That's ultimately things just, you know, balancing the feed and diet, maintaining their health and keeping them for a longer period of time. And so we're really putting out some outstanding trophy sized fish. This last year, we started taking sub samples of our regular hatchery stock fish and setting them aside and keeping them for long periods of time too. And so we're doing some true Teleco, you know, grown Teleco trophies as well. And that's oh. worked out real well. Just make sure that we have a consistent supply of big fish. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. You, you talk about the feeding and, and there's some feeding going on behind us here. What, uh, what do these fish eat and how often do you feed them? And what's some of the protocols that... Well, we feed them a, a really high protein fish feed. The protocols for it change seasonally. Um, right now, we're trying to feed once a day. If it gets a whole lot colder you'll end up going to every other day or even maybe further than that. During prime feeding times, you can feed up to twice a day. A lot of it's determined just by monitoring their behavior, really. Okay. And we try to, and we'll subsample fish, we'll keep up with weights, we'll see what kind of weight we're putting on for the amount of feed that we're putting in, just keep things balanced. But it's there's a little bit of art and science to it both. At the We've got some trophies, Teleco trophies, you yeah. call them. But what's the normal stocking size? That What are you trying to get these fish up to before you let them go? I like to try to get them up to close to, you know, at least eight-tenths of a pound is kind of my goal. Okay. Um, sometimes you'll get fish that are .75, stuff like that, which is still an extraordinarily good stock size fish. You know, and as the season goes on, too, some of the fish will be smaller, but they'll be going into hotter water, which it actually kind of works well because those fish are a little more resilient. So the smaller fish actually do better being stocked late in the season. Mm -hmm. And those fish will probably go um, around a half pound. So we talked in a previous episode about delayed harvest, but just talk to us a little bit about what that delayed harvest looks like here. Well, delayed harvest on Teleco, um, we're able to stock our standard stock size fish as well as some of our Teleco trophies. And basically it just gives us the ability to have a fishery active during the winter because you'll see a tremendous amount of people up here all winter long fishing it. And it also gives us a little more hatchery space to have fish for next year and then it expand into some of the, the ideas that Travis has had as far as uh, being able to get Teleco trophies and bigger fish in other streams in the region. Mm, pretty cool. When, when you, um, I guess, do you have fish come in as eggs or how does, how does the production start here? Our fish will come in between five to eight inches long from federal hatcheries. Okay. At that point, we'll start our feeding regimen on them and try to get them up to size. Uh, some of these fish will start coming in um, around July and the last of them we just received. Is that about how most hatcheries work? Do you get them? Uh, I mean, I guess it's, it varies across it, the state on what it does, species uh, and all that stuff too. 
Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency operates four cold water hatcheries and um, uh, two of them receive eggs and raise up and the other two facilities, uh, us and Irwin State Hatchery, both receive fish that are already started that we grow to larger sizes to stock out. All right. But oh. Buffalo Springs and Flintville Hatchery both get eggs and raise them from the egg stage. It, go ahead. Well, I was going to say one thing I wanted to touch on before we move from the trout themselves, um, the, the brook trout going up to Sitacoke or Sycamore Creek. Tell us about that experience, how those <laughs> fish, how we, I got to be a part of that and it was a pretty neat experience going horseback and bringing yeah. the fish out. Yeah, part of that project, when we started, um, the vehicles weren't allowed to access the upper Sycamore Creek. And so uh, in order to get those fish, those brood fish out and to take fish back in, we utilized um, a horse horses and uh, carried the fish on horseback. And that involves, uh, you have to take uh, the fish and you put them in a bag with water and then you inject oxygen into that bag and seal it up tight. And so on their trip out, as the water sloshes around on the horse, it helps incorporate that oxygen into the bag. And, of course, we put some ice, too. Um, if the water temp was going to get warm, it would help keep the water cool. And then we would bring them in the facility and, and acclimate the water to the same temp we had in the facility and then release the fish in there. So it's it's amazing process. A lot goes into to what these guys do in these hatcheries and, and it's amazing just to think about it. That's really how I got to start my career up here was working with Travis going right. in on Upper Sycamore. It was it really one of the neatest things I've done. We probably crossed paths and didn't know it. Yeah, I, probably. <laughs> it probably wasn't hiking out, though. <laughs> I, uh, I, I remember I told my husband after that experience, I said, you know those places you think no one ever goes? I'm like, that's where they go. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it really is a rough, rugged terrain. It's not easily easily accessible and it's it's the only fish um yeah, in yeah. those streams and and they're small streams but but a lot of anglers come in simply for that fish yeah, sure yeah it's about a two mile hike into upper sycamore and um of course we had to carry all of our gear backpack <laughs> shockers and uh, uh all the bags to tote the fish out and and oxygen bottles and and so it was it was quite an undertaking to get all that in there and and hike in collect the fish then hike back out with them so I mean, collecting those fish i remember it's it's a it's a challenge just to go upstream climbing through, through the creek and climbing those rocks and not you know not losing your balance and uh, oh yeah yeah they were lit literally climbing waterfalls uh up on those upper reaches to to access the different pools to get the fish um what is that what is that whole uh, process meant for brook trout though what what have you seen in the brook trout numbers after all that effort travis We've seen we've seen a good, stable population on the upper end. Uh, after 2016, the lower reaches, and we saw that on all of our wild trout streams here in in Monroe County, and um, that there was a reduction in in trout numbers on uh, the lower reaches of those streams at lower elevations. And what we saw were uh, low flows and higher water temps, mm -hmm. and uh, that that caused us to really take a serious look, especially. Uh, at what was happening here at Teleco, and uh, we, we've actually made some changes that will go into effect in, in March on the Teleco River, Sitico Creek, and Green Cove Pond. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, we had a series of public meetings uh, to discuss what uh, the data showed, and what it showed was that flows in July were 18% lower than historic levels, and flows in August were 25% lower than historic levels. And this is comparing data. There's a, a USGS gauging station on Teleco River and Teleco Plains, and it's been recording uh, 
It recorded water flow from 1925 to 82, and then it was out of commission until around 2000. And so we were looking at that 56 years of data from 1925 to 82 and comparing it to data since 2000. And that's where we got those numbers of the lower flows. I think, I think that's one of the important things that I always try to impress upon people. Management changes are, are most typically there for a reason. It's maybe sometimes driven by what the public is asking for, but a lot of times it's driven by that great science that you all are out there doing. Those changes were really necessary for us up here because as we got into the later months, the, you, you don't know if you're going to have the water, and even if you do, the temperature a lot of times it's not very conducive to trout being healthy. So you, you put all this time and effort like we've talked about in science into making sure you've got the best possible product put out there for the anglers, and then you're putting it in in some of the worst conditions. So the changes that he proposed and that, that got passed should really help things. Good. In more ways than one. I mean, in the hatchery as well. Tell us, tell us what those changes are again. Uh, we started, historically, Teleco uh, opened at, uh, after um, the regulations went into effect March 15th, and they were in, in effect until September 15th. And those, the special regulations at Teleco, Citico, are, um, it, you have to have a special permit to fish from March 1st. Um, now it's going to be from March 1st until August 15th. So just cutting it off a little bit earlier, helping we with those warm water. We start warm. earlier, and it ends a little sooner than it used to. Um, we're still probably going to be able – what would happen is as the season progressed, the water temperatures downstream were too warm to put trout. So the actual amount of stream we could stock shrunk as the season progressed. And so when we start earlier in the year, we'll be able to stock the entire length of the stream, which is about 13 miles on Teleco wow. River we stock. Wow. Yeah, when we're in our full-blown stocking season, we'll actually – cover 180 sites a day just on Citico and Teleco. It's 180 stops. And that's all done in what amount One of time? Day. One day. Wow. Yeah, we'll start that's at pretty amazing. 6 in the morning and we'll end when we're done. Sometimes you you know get through it pretty quick and then sometimes you know we've finished in the dark. But the thing is up here, as you can see, it can be somewhat unpredictable. I mean, we've hit some pretty crazy weather and winds and stuff like that. It's not unusual to have to cut a few trees out of the way to finish your day. Yeah. Uh, talk, talk to us about the number of fish that, that are stocked. Uh, if, if folks follow us on Facebook, they've probably seen the video of the truck yeah. being filled up with the machine and, and nets. Well, that's another thing that kind of goes back into managing in time like he's talking about there. We can't, when we're, this March when we start off, we'll be putting close to 5,000 fish a week in the rivers. As the season goes on and water heats up, it'll, you know, start reducing from there. But, you know, during our heyday, we could be 4,700 fish to 5,000 fish uh, a, a week. It's good wow. fishing. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And now that would be broken up between here, Grinco Pond, and mm -hmm. uh, Teleco, Grinco Pond, and Citico. And, and you do see visitors coming from mm -hmm. not just within oh, Tennessee, yeah. but, but from many other states away. Yeah, we have um, visitors from all over the place, really. Yeah, it's really pretty amazing where people will come from. And um, we also have a lot of really excellent e educational opportunities here. We have groups, uh, school groups constantly of, of all ages. Uh, we actually hosted some people that were doing measurements for NASA during the uh, eclipse. So that was kind of a neat thing. You know, wow. just this location, cool. it draws people in, in, in good science a lot of the times. Tell, uh, tell us about the, uh, the albino trout. I'm sure that's an educational piece there, too. I mean, people... <laughs> 
you interested know, to see those. And those are great trophies you were saying that you all get to release. And They've been a unique experience. When I came to Teleco, when, I, when Travis went to his new position and I took his job, he had a nice green tank up there full of small albinos. They were very, very small. We didn't really know what they would do. And uh, we just fed them, and they just kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So now we've got these monster albino trophies, and uh, we were able to get permission to stock them here in Teleco and Sitico and um, Green Cove Pond, and they've taken off well. Well, I think we're going to try to continue it in the future. I believe that we'll be able to continue to get eggs. We're even talked about trying to spawn some. Oh, wow. Have yeah. you heard of people catching them? And, and oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. They get caught. It's, it's really funny because in the hatchery, they'll eat just about anything. But when you put them in the river, I mean, people think they're going to be susceptible to prey. They're going to be, you know, easily caught. And a lot of times people will fixate on them and cast at them for hours. And I mean, they're tough <laughs> fish to catch. Wow. They really are. But they are. We do see quite a few caught. That's awesome. That's neat. Um, and you were telling us earlier, that, I mean, they they get pretty wide. You were yeah, it's, uh, impressed with the yeah, size. Yeah, the girth on them, I mean, it's unreal how big those fish have gotten. And that's the thing, you know, with them being albinos, we really didn't know what to expect in the long term. And now, um, you know, what are they, three years old, four years old, something oh, like that? Yeah. They're oh. And they're big fish. So, I mean, yeah, we're not seeing them slowing down. We're not seeing any weird health issues with them. And, and you don't see them, you know, just easily picked off in the river. It's worked off out real well. That go ahead, go ahead. I got another question, but oh, I was gonna say. So that's one of the. Uh, you all do so much down here with events. Uh, people can visit the hatchery. Talk a little bit about the the major events that you have throughout the year. Our major events, well, I mean, as far as the hatchery is concerned, is we'll have two Project Healing Waters events. Which Project Healing Waters is an organization that looks to help you know veterans and even um, disabled servicemen with rehabilitation, whether it be, you know, mental or physical um, through fly fishing. That's and amazing. so, yeah, it's an incredible organization and it's something that anybody that has the opportunity to should become involved with. Um, we do a pond event up at Green Cove Pond. And then for two years now, we've actually done a river event that's been a huge success. So that's absolutely. You the veterans out with guides. Yeah, yeah, Travis guides with us. Um, we have several guys from the agency that guide and then we'll bring in some local fishermen that you know volunteer and guide um, and typically each veteran will have a guide we'll have the river in good shape for them they'll take off and and get a day of fly fishing in and every year so far it's been a great experience when you see guys i guess the greatest compliment that we get from it is at the end of the day you know after we've eaten and everybody's had fun most of the guys pack their stuff back up and go fish till dark That's so wonderful. it's a good thing and and it's good for them. You hear a lot of the guys, you know, have real positive testimonies of what it's done for them. Yeah. So that, and then we'll have in June our um, Teleco River Kids Fishing event, which is continuing to grow every year as well. And, um, you know, that's for children. We've changed the regulations this year. It's going to be 15 and under, correct? I think 16. 16 and under. 16. Yeah, this okay. is all brand new to us because it was not that last year. Mm. But uh, so, and actually that's a good thing. It's going to kind of, expand the opportunities because there's a lot of people that are 16 years old that would like to come out and fish with us and we're also going to get a bigger stretch of river this year so yeah our kids event it's uh it's really been second to none and then there's some more opportunities on there uh, it's being built right now with the uh the moment of freedom yeah. pier tell us about that real the quick. moment of freedom pier is being constructed and um it's almost finished and it'll allow uh, handicapped access to stream fishing which is something that's as far as I know, does not exist anywhere. I mean, those guys, we have the ability to 
you know, fish right there in a very, very good location that we can stock and, and watch over for them. So, yeah, there's a, it's going to change a lot of things as far as uh, disabled access goes in Teleco mm -hmm. and with our events, you know, yeah. with our events. Because when in some of these Healing Waters events and things like that, when I mean, you find people that do have issues that need, you know, easier access to the river. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a really positive addition to the Teleco fishery. I'd say once that one gets going, they'll see how important and how beneficial it is. We'll probably have more of those throughout the state. Yeah, yeah. and it's really pretty. They've done a great job building it. It is yeah. pretty. Yeah, those guys are working hard. Um, one thing that popped in my head before we ran out of time, uh, you mentioned challenges, and I, I see these nets on top of these raceways, and I'm, I'm assuming that's to keep prey from preying <laughs> on the fish. It might be to keep something else out of the water. It's just a general barrier to keep things out of the water. Well, what's know? some of the challenges you run into? Do you run into problems with birds and uh, things like that? Really not so much as far as things like that go. I mean, most of the challenges in Teleco are related to weather. Um, okay. You know, you obviously the river runs right down the middle of the National Forest, so we have a pretty heavy leaf fall, and that can be a real problem with intakes. Uh, things like Travis encountered when he was up here when you don't have water, extreme temperatures. So a lot of the things that we face up here are environmental. Uh, you can have some, you know, predators that'll enter the hatchery, but it's not been a consistent problem. And usually we're getting ready to actually redo those nets over there. And hopefully then that'll just add extra protection. But yeah. they're just as good for keeping, you know, buckets and things that get thrown in the raceways as they are animals. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Well, you know, and that brings up a point I do want to make. People can visit this hatchery, yes, but but absolutely. it's not open every single day. So so maybe talk to us a little bit and let folks know when can they visit, what's appropriate. Well, our, our hours will change seasonally, and they'll be posted online, and they can always call here, and it'll be on um, our answering machine. Okay. Um, right now, we're open Monday through Friday from 9 till 3, and okay. we're closed on weekends and state holidays. All right. Uh, during the summer, we will be open again on the weekends. All right. And a lot of visitors, too. I yeah. have one other thing to touch on. Go before. ahead, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what do folks want to learn about the stocking um, that's taking place? I know we put it on Facebook, but but what's another avenue? Um, if folks, should they call the hatchery? Oh, yeah, you can always call the hatchery and talk with one of us. Um, okay. If we are not available, then we usually post our stocking data on the answer machine. We try to update that weekly. And then, of course, you get my weekly email, which yes. I send to you, and you yes. post on Facebook for us. So there's always a Teleco stocking report available on the uh, TWA Facebook page. All right. That's great. And one other thing I'm thinking about, too, is how do you find this place? We started started <laughs> coming back here today, and I'm like, I don't remember being this far down the road. But <laughs> if, if somebody wants to uh, come visit, come to Teleco, hit the Skyway, and then what? Turn up the river road and don't use your GPS. <laughs> no uh, cell phone signals yeah, here. Yeah. If you need don't to, depend on your GPS. Yeah. yeah, go through Teleco Plains. Uh, go like you're going up the, the Chahel Skyway and then turn right on River Road and just follow it straight on up. When you go through Green Cove, you're a mile away. Yep, so it's that easy. It feels like it's a long ways out there. And it, it is. It's 15 it is. miles or so. So it'll take you a good 30 minutes from Teleco probably to get here. But it's uh, it's worth the worth the trip, would you say? Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. And uh, Travis Scott, thank <laughs> Travis and John, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for taking out your time, uh, time out of your day. Thanks for coming up. Yeah. Thanks for reporting on us. Yep. It's fun. Well, we uh, appreciate everybody tuning in and uh, thank these guys for letting us come out here today. And uh, we're going to have uh, more to come on this kind of stuff. And uh, I think we're going to shoot another show and bring in Brandon Ware and talk about what's happening here on the Cherokee. So uh, always a lot of stuff happening 
uh, Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, and we want to keep you all up to date through this show. And uh, appreciate y'all listening, and thank y'all for tuning in. So we'll see y'all next time. Thank you, Mimi. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.